the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Today we're going to look at the first five verses in chapter 3 of Second Thessalonians. And Paul has finished teaching them about the day of the Lord because as we talked about, they had a real concern about when Christ would come back, when the rapture would happen, and then specifically when the day of the Lord, which is the day in which Jesus returns in power and in judgment against the wicked, They were really concerned about when that was going to happen because somebody had actually told them they were in the day of the Lord. And you can imagine, things are heating up for us here in America, little by little for Christians. Little by little, we're seeing our religious liberty erode away and the tolerance for, for the truth diminishing. Imagine if somebody that you really loved and respected, and maybe two or three of them came to you, people you knew to be prophets of God, to be uh, literally gifted in their understanding of truth, who come to you and say, you know what, you're in the day of the Lord. Well, that's how these people heard it, and they believed they'd missed the rapture, and they were going to have to endure all kinds of suffering. So Paul spent a great deal of time in ink, walking them through the truth that they were not in the day of the Lord. And he gets past that, and then he comes to the end of it, and now at the beginning of chapter 3, we see him actually ask for prayer. Towards the end of chapter 3, he's going to do a little light housekeeping, but at the beginning, these first five verses, he's asking for prayer. And I'm going to actually read from the end of 2 Thessalonians, verses 16 through 17, to chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, to kind of keep the letter flowing. Starting in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us everlasting consolation and encouragement and well-founded hope through His grace, unmerited favor, comfort and encourage your hearts and strengthen them, make them steadfast and keep them unswerving in every good work and word. Furthermore, brethren, do pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed on, spread rapidly, and run its course, and be glorified, extolled, and triumphed, even as it has done with you. 
and that we may be delivered from perverse, improper, unrighteous, and wicked, actively malicious men, for not everybody has faith and is held by it. Yet the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen you, and set you on a firm foundation, and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do the things which we suggest and with which we charge you. May the Lord direct your hearts into realizing and showing the love of God and into the steadfastness and patience of Christ in waiting for His return. In verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2, we see Paul drawing their focus towards Jesus, drawing their focus towards the strengthener, the hope of their souls. And you see in this verse, a couple of times he uses the word heart, and he's using the word heart. The heart is actually used interchangeably for soul and spirit. But in these verses, he's referencing the soul. And what is the soul? It's our mind, will, and emotions. It is the seat of our personality. And he is saying to them, draw the attention, the focus of your mind. Draw your attention, your focus, and insist through your will. Draw your emotions to truth. Focus on him, not on the trouble, not on the difficulties, not on what confronts you, but put your focus on Christ. As we've illustrated many times, if I have my problems on this hand and I have Jesus on this hand, if I draw my problems towards me, they overwhelm me. But if I draw Christ before me, then nothing overwhelms me. That's what he's encouraging them to do. Draw your focus towards him. Draw Christ to the center of your thinking. And in order to encourage the mind, will, and emotions, he understands that we not only need to make Jesus our focus, but we need to make his life our practice. And this is a big issue with Christians today. That we understand that we have to have Jesus. We understand that we have to have the Lord. And many of us carry it around like our driver's license. But the reality is that when he says that we need him as life, it's not only talking about the life within us, but the life that we express through us. The only way that we're affirmed in the truth that Christ is our life, the only way we literally experience the salvation of the Lord, not just that initial time, but in each time that he saves us. And I want you to know, Paul said it, and it is true that you're being saved right now. Even now. You're being saved. The only way we enter into that salvation and literally are able to embrace that salvation is by living it out by faith. Holding on by faith, making each step in the power and the determination of the Lord. Trusting that you have a God, that you are in the plan of God, and that He is sovereign in your life. Living it out, loving your enemy by the love of God, embracing those who curse you by the love of God, literally hoping when there is no hope by the hope of God within you, testifying and bringing forth the witness of Christ and the light of Christ in the midst of a dark world. That is the affirmation of the Christian. It's not attending church. Because we know a lot of people who attend church have very little hope. Now, grant you, this is a good place to come. But I want to tell you that in order to know, I mean know. Paul talks about knowing Christ intimately. 
He's not just talking about knowing the book. He's talking about knowing the person. And in order for us to know the person, we have to live it out through obedience. It doesn't just happen by knowing it in the mind. Through yielded obedience, we affirm the truth in us. You know, the reality is is that when we run from our fears and become self-protecting, we actually affirm the fear and perpetuate unbelief in our thoughts and in our living. Isn't that the truth? The very thing that we run from ends up consuming us. Now what Paul is trying to do is encourage them. And you know the word encourage actually has courage at its root. And that means, the word courage actually means the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, etc. without fear. Without fear. Bravery. Now, I know that that is a secular definition, but I want to tell you, the truth of courage, by that definition, is only possible through Jesus Christ. It's only possible through Him. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven and cringing and fawning fear, but He has given us a spirit of power and of love and of calm and well-balanced mind, discipline and self-control. First of all, notice that's past tense for you Christians. That's past tense. He has given And secondly, notice that he talks about the mind, the balance of the mind. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the soul, isn't he? And he says he's given you a spirit of power, a spirit of love. He's talking about the spirit of Christ himself, the Holy Spirit, that is to fill your soul and bring balance to your mind. The only way the Thessalonians could face the issues that they faced on a daily basis, or Paul for that matter, could face what he faced, he must have some supernatural balance within his soul. Because I know, and you know, living this life without balance in the soul is one big roller coaster. Sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down. Sometimes we're confident, sometimes we're scared. But there's a stable part of us that God intended us to live from. There's a portion of you that the world cannot take from you, cannot upset in you, cannot steal from you. The literal part of your life that is eternal is in the center of you and God wants you to live from that place. So that you can walk in confidence. So that you can face the issues. I'm going to tell you that the day is going to come in the United States where the hostility against Christians is going to continue to rise. Where are we going to find our comfort then? Television won't get it done. Internet won't get it done. Movies won't get it done. Alcohol never gets it done. Drugs never get it done. There's only one place for the Christian to live that he walks in a supernatural way that literally brings him above the water so that he walks on the waves and he walks on the turbulence. And that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the presence of Christ in the center of your being. We are to live from our spirit, not from our soul. We are to live from the truth, not from the temporal world around us. Paul knows that to encourage these Thessalonians, in order for them to have courage, they must invite the spirit of truth into their mind, will, and emotions. They must invite the spirit of balance 
That's the only way that they're going to be able to walk with courage. It is for them to trust in the faithfulness of their God. Now in verse 1 of chapter 3 we see Paul asking for prayer. Let's look at that. Furthermore, brethren, do pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed on, spread rapidly, and run its course, and be glorified, extolled, and triumphed, even as it has done with you. Now, if we read this from a man-centered perspective, we would get the impression that he is saying, you know what, you need to pray for me and my companions, because the spread of the word is dependent upon us. And we need God to give us strength. You know what? That is so contrary to everything Paul's ever taught. It cannot be true. But man-centered focus will read it that way. And I've actually heard it preached that way. But that is not the truth of what Paul is saying. Paul recognized that the spread of the Word was not dependent upon him. It was not dependent on his companions. He wasn't resting in his talent. He wasn't resting in his knowledge. He wasn't resting in his experience. He wasn't resting in his spirituality to spread the Word. He is recognizing by this request of prayer his need to keep dependent upon the Lord. His need to be completely yielded to the Spirit of God, so that he could participate in the calling that God had put upon his life. You know, the bottom line is if God has put a call on your life, now that call is to him, but he'll choose to express it however he wants. And in that expression, what is he calling you to do? He's not calling you to create anything. He's calling you to go with him while he creates, to be a part of what he does. We do not create because we are not creators. We participate because we are His creation. That's the truth of who we are. And Paul knows this far too well. If anybody should have been able to lean on his own abilities, be able to lean upon his own spirituality, his discipline, his hard work, if anybody should be able to get up and give a sermon without notes, it would be Paul. But he would be aghast if anyone asked him to prepare a note and, and, and to keep those notes before him and to teach what he would learned under, under Judaism. He would be aghast. He said, you know what? For me to live is Christ. And my message is Christ and Christ crucified. I have no other message. It is the life of Christ in me that brings forth the Word. And if you are moved by the Word, it will not be my eloquence. It will not be my fine-sounding words or my outline or my three points in a poem. It will be the Spirit of God that gets it done. Because the reality is, words don't change us, do they? They don't. Never do. Paul is not praying for God to give him anything. He's not asking God to help him. He is praying that he be yielded and fully participating in the spread of the word. It is the blessing and the gift of God that empowers man to participate in what is uniquely his work. And you know what? The salvation of man is uniquely God's work. It is such a blessing and such an act of love that he would take his child by the hand and lead him forward to watch that event as a, a young man watches his son being born, watching a child being born. It's the same miraculous work of God. It is creation being formed in his hand. Do you know salvation is not just a simple matter of confession? It's birth. 
The new creation is literally born. Something dies and something is born in that moment. When you became a Christian, you didn't just say a pledge and join like you might have joined the Boy Scouts or whatever you've joined in your lifetime. What you did was you laid down your life with Christ and you were resurrected into a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away. You don't have the same appetites. What suited you before does not suit you any longer. God has given you a new heart. He has given you a new mind. He has given you a whole new life. And that life was made for Him and nothing else. You wonder why you can't get the joy out of this world that the world seems to get out of it? Because you weren't made for Him. You weren't created for the the world. You were created for Christ. The things that used to suit you won't suit you any longer. The world is not your provision. Christ is. The world is not your hope. Christ is. The world is not your source of love, excitement, or anything that you might name. It is all now through Jesus Christ. You are connected to His life. You are literally in union with Him. And what suits Him now suits you. That's who you are. Paul just wants to participate He recognizes that it's the work of God. Colossians chapter 1 verses 28 and 29. Paul declares this. He says, Him, Him we preach and proclaim, warning and admonishing everyone and instructing everyone in all wisdom, comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God, that we might present every person mature, full-grown, fully initiated, complete and perfect in Christ, the Anointed One. For this I labor unto weariness, striving with all superhuman energy, which He so mightily enkindles and works within me. In other words, my body is having difficulty keeping up with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is wearing me out. (laughs) But I'm excited to be there. You ever had a friend that was full of energy and just seemed like it ran like a... You know, like a clock and just kept going all the time. And you're trying to stay with them. And absolutely just wearing you out. Just wearing you out. And I used to go places with Mr. Holman, and he's got quite a stride. That man, when he walks, he makes about three steps to your one. So I always felt like one of those uh, chihuahua dogs. They have to do like this to keep up, you know. And it just, you know, we'd get through an airport and I'd be exhausted. The truth of the matter is that it takes the Spirit of God for us to keep up with the work of God. It takes the Spirit of God to pull us into the middle of what He is doing. And you see that, Paul talking about that superhuman strength, that's the way the Amplified puts it, that superhuman strength. He's not talking about vitamins. He is talking about the life of Christ in him that literally energizes and lifts him into whatever God is doing. He says, that's where I want to be. I hear a lot of preachers, and and I know there's some legitimacy to this, but I hear a lot of ministers say, you know what, I'm just worn out. I'm completely worn out. I don't think I can preach another sermon. And I want to say, you know what, I have felt that way, and I've discovered I shouldn't have preached the first one. It's Christ who brings the message. It's Him. If I'm worn out, it's just me trying to keep up. That's all it is. Because I have nothing to give you but Him. And He is all you need. Paul knows this. He knows that it is only the life of Christ in Him that makes it work. 
In verse 1 of our text, the way the Greek reads is Paul's asking for prayer. He's literally asking that they continually surround him in prayer. You see, where Paul is writing this letter, he's in Corinth. And if y'all have read anything in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you know that in Corinth, Paul was literally surrounded with wickedness and evil, both in and out of the church. And it was a hard work, especially after coming off the Thessalonians, who willingly embraced the truth of God, entered right into the work of God, and were going forward in faith. And now he's down here with the Corinthians, and he's trying to figure out how in the world... Why in the world, Father? I can just, I can, I, it's not in there. This is holy imagination, but I know what I'd be doing. I'd be saying, Lord, why in the world would you move me from Thessalonica to here? Why would you move me from a congregation of people who were literally eating it up with a heart to serve to this bunch of rebellious folks that sometimes on, sometimes off? Why would you do that? But probably not, Paul. Probably not, Paul. The point is, Paul was surrounded by all manner of wickedness and distraction. But he says, brethren, pray for us. In the Greek, the picture is literally surround me continually with prayer. Now, you ask the question, is Paul asking that that prayer wall be about him so that he might somehow be able to go forward and spread the word because if we don't pray, he won't be able to spread the word? Do you think that's what's going on? Do you think that if the Thessalonians didn't pray, Paul wouldn't be able to continue with his ministry? That the enemy would gain ground? That somehow he wouldn't be able to bring forth the word? No, that's not at all. What's going on here is Paul recognizes his need to be completely dependent upon the truth, dependent upon the life of Christ within him, and he wants to walk in the atmosphere of prayer. He wants his focus to be Jesus. You know what? It's real hard when you've got all of that kind of stuff going on. It's real hard to keep your focus sometimes, isn't it? When there's a lot of things happening in your home, you know, the kids are being rebellious, the dog just messed on the carpet, the neighbors are shouting out the window. You know, all this kind of stuff going on. Your boss just called and he's unhappy. And it just seems like one thing after another just rolling and rolling and rolling. And you're asking yourself, you know, Father, why am I in the midst of this? And immediately he calls you to himself and you get before him in prayer and say, Father, I can't handle what's going on around me. And immediately, you know what comes true to your heart? No, you can't. You can't. And it's not going to go away. Those kids are yours. (laughs) And that dog is yours. And that neighbor won't move. But I am your peace. I am your rest. I am your hope. He wanted to be secluded in the atmosphere of prayer. Now, it doesn't mean he wanted to be protected from the world. It meant that he wanted to keep his focus on Christ. He wanted to walk in the truth. You see, the only way that those people would ever get the true word is if if Paul's focus was on Christ and he was yielded to the truth. Paul prays that the word of God be glorified. Now that word, the word, that's in uh, verse 1, is speaking of the revelation of God. It can be referenced to Scripture, but they didn't have a Bible at that point. 
So what we know is that he is actually referring to the revelation of God, the work of the Spirit of God within them. What he is saying, that the work of the Spirit of God may spread rapidly in the hearts of the people that he came to. Paul prays for the Word of God to be glorified. In other words, that it be rapidly and eagerly received as the power of God to be saved. And the only way that the Word of God was glorified, it was glorified through the Thessalonians because they received it and expressed it. And there was glory. He says, let the Word be glorified. Let them receive it the way you received it. Remember in 1 Thessalonians verse 6, he says, For you welcomed our message in spite of much persecution, with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse 2. He says, he's continually asking for prayer here, and he says, And that we may be delivered from perverse, improper, unrighteous, and wicked, actively malicious men. For not everybody has faith and is held by it. Now, Paul prays to be delivered from wicked men. Paul was not concerned that these wicked men could stop the will of God or the progress of the Word of God. Nor was he concerned about his personal safety and comfort. If that were the case, he would have given up preaching quite a while back. What he is praying for is he's saying not everybody has faith. Some people are resolutely godless, resolutely wicked, resolutely evil, and they are big distractions. Because that's what sin and wickedness is. Do you recognize that? It's a distraction. Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation, rest in His life moment by moment, and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m., at 7015 Orsbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.